0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening wherever you are in the world. It is me, a slightly croaky post-Covid Damien Barr, welcoming you to another Salon exclusive, where you get to be the first to hear about the upcoming books that we are most excited about. And while I've been off-sec, the post has piled up and we are filtering it all for you to bring you the best. Now, you know that we love to bring you new voices and today is no exception. We're bringing you Edgeware Road, a novel by the award-winning historian and broadcaster Yasmin cordery khan who we love. Now, this is a debut, and it's already getting loads and loads and loads of attention. So Satnam Sanghera, one of our guest hosts here at the Salon and a guest who you can listen to on our podcast, has said that the novel is an elegant and moving book from a highly promising new voice in fiction. And he does not dole the praise out lightly. So, Edgware Road opens in the 1980s with a character called Alia, she's young and she's waiting for her father at Edgware Road tube station in London, but he never arrives. 20 years later, Alia is determined to discover the mystery of her father's disappearance and this leads her to uncover the life of an ambitious young chancer caught up in a dangerous game. So it's family fiction, it asks questions about what it means to be English, what it means to be a Londoner, and how the intricacies of our lives can be shaped by global events. So it's a real page turner. And here is Yasmin with a reading from her debut novel, Edria Road.
1: My name is Yasmin Cordery-Khan, and thank you for having me on the Literary Salon podcast. I'm going to read a section from my novel, Edgware Road, and this part is set in 1981. And the protagonist, a kind of anti-hero or tragic hero, Khalid Qureshi, is out in London. He's already down on his luck. He's a petty gambler. He works night shifts in a casino. But this is a turning point where things really go from bad to worse. And it sets in motion all sorts of darker things, leading him to bad money and also estrangement from his wife and daughter. The irony of it was that he didn't gamble that day, and he wasn't rat either. He must have walked past half a dozen betting shops, and he stayed away from all the machines in the pub. His body was alive enough with the prospect of changing clubs, and the fresh start ahead, the vision of starting up life in the West Indies. And Tony was the sort of friend who gave him life too, who steered him away from the machines without even knowing it the patter about turtles and fishing boats and the times they had ahead of them. They drank about three pints of lager, maybe it was four, two at the Rosen Crown. he remembered that well, one or two at the King's Arms, which was busier and louder, with music blaring. Tony told someone they'd been sacked from Playboy, which got them a lot of attention, and the barman handed them whiskey chasers on the house in commiseration. Khalid ate dry roasted peanuts, flicking them up with his thumb, and watched Tony playing darts and showing off like always, hitting the trebles without even looking as if he was trying. Some woman, a drunk tourist in knee-high white leather boots, kissed Tony on the cheek and he squeezed her ass. That was when Carla thought it was best to go. He remembered the Datsun, still, on a parking meter, and offered to give Tony a lift. That was all it was. A good night. Just a plain old good night. Nothing too crazy. No boogie. No baby sham. They got in the car. It was parked in a side street at the back of an apartment block, at the rear of Park Lane. Was he drunk? Of course he was, but wasn't everyone coming out of the pub that night? They all drank. They all drove. And Khalid could handle his drink, he just got more talkative. Nothing daft, nothing too out of control. He'd offered to drop Tony back to his place in Notting Hill and his plan had been to loop round onto the Cromwell Road, out west onto the Hammersmith flyover. Tony's long legs, his crisp jeans, folded into the passenger seat, his afro skimming the interior roof. As they had pulled out of Park Lane, the traffic lights were all green and they raced through Cumberland Gate. The place looked so good now that Khalid was leaving London for another country. He loved London like this, with its statues floodlit in all its pompous glory, the black cabs dancing round under the street lamps and the lights from the hotels and the cars blurring like stars. Best city in the world, he said to Tony. And he accelerated and decided to do another round of Park Lane, past Hyde Park and the Wellington Arch. A victory lap. His route was a figure of eight around the great loops of road encircling the corner of Hyde Park. They raced past Apsley House and turned like ice skaters, flew past Butcher Achilles on his plinth with his shield raised high. He should have seen him coming and nobody could have said whose fault it was. They'd both moved into the middle lane at exactly the same time. Khalid accelerated too quickly, but the van did too. He'd been trying to cut him up. Khalid was sure of it. The Ford Transit coming from the right, some tradesman trying to get home. He didn't see it clearly enough. It was dark and it all happened very quickly. A Datsun and a Ford, coming together for a few seconds like drunken dancers. had heard the horn just as the van swerved round in front of him. He braked hard and they rammed into it. Carlid and Tony flew forward in their seats. There was shocked silence. The other driver opened his door and came over before they'd even spoken. Oh, shit, this is bad. You've got to turn the engine off, Collett. Stop the car. Tony put his hand on his arm. The man was rapping on the windscreen, shouting, What the hell was that? Look at my van. Collett got out and inspected the damage. The Ford's rear did look bad, undeniably dented, but the Datsun looked worse. The corner of the bonnet had concertina Hey, keep it simple, man, Tony said, leaning out of the passenger window, and you can bloody well stay out of it. Tony went silent, stayed in the car, drumming his hands on the dashboard. "'I'm calling the police. Could have killed me. "'Do you think it's all right to drive like that? "'Might be OK in Bangladesh. Not here, mate. "'Shouldn't fucking be allowed to drive in this country.' The traffic was building behind them, people swerving dangerously around the car to get in a free lane. Khalid needed to say something, urgently, but he couldn't think what would help. "'Truly sorry, mate. I'm, I'm truly. It was just an accident. "'I think we were both at fault.' He looked penitent, put his hands together in a gesture of supplication. Look, let me write you a cheque. He groped around as if he had a cheque book in his inside jacket pocket. His fingers brushed the thick envelope with the Bahamas contract tucked inside it. He would have put his arms around that man at that moment and stood him a pint if he could have eased the whole thing and siphoned away his anger. But this man was pure oxygen, waiting to find a spark, and now they had set him off. "'Let's settle this without police, hey?' said Carlyd, and he wanted him to understand that it didn't need to be like that, all anger and accusation, and they were both free men, they could move on. There was an island waiting for him, that he was just about to leave this city anyway. The man just wasn't listening to him. The van driver was spinning in his own little world of pain and dragging Carlyd into that with him. "'I ain't got no reason to fear the coppers. You do, though,' and he gave him a smile, as if he'd been sent from Satan himself to ruin him. "'What's a clean license? Alia asked from the floor, the next afternoon, where she was dividing up the pieces of her jigsaw puzzle, putting the pieces with straight edges on one side and the jagged ones on the other. Carla looked down at her. To her, a clean licence sounded like something wiped with a sponge or put in the bath with bubbles. Clean licences. Dirty licences. If only it was that simple. Clean licence, Susie repeated in a numb voice. He was standing in the doorway, dishevelled, the bow tie hanging lifelessly around his neck like a defeated snooker player. For the first time, it occurred to him that it was ridiculous to be talking about a new life in the Caribbean, in the gathering dark of Hammersmith. On the television, some blonde queers were dancing about in cricket whites, and one of them was carrying a teddy bear like alias and looked as if he was about to cry. Behind the men were towers and spires and long green lawns and make-believe England. Susie had turned the volume down, but she hadn't turned it off. She wasn't listening properly. Tony had been decent. They'd bailed Carly about eleven in the morning. He'd stayed with him, stood surety, all the rest of it. Carly would have done the same for him. He'd made his call to Susie from the phone on the custody sergeant's desk, penitent and sad about midnight, and she hadn't said much. He'd woken her up, and there was little use her coming out to the station with Arlia tucked up in her little bed and everything. They'd kept him in overnight, and Tony'd come back in the morning with an egg roll and a newspaper and tried to crack jokes. All the time he wasn't thinking about the shame of it all, the embarrassment of losing his licence and not being able to drive, the pity of that dent in the Datsun's bonnet which couldn't be easily righted and the car that would never be the same. All those things were painful, but that wasn't what troubled him. He wasn't even thinking of himself or the concrete bunk cold against his spine through the blankets or how the man in the Ford had sauntered off without so much as a parking ticket. No, what hurt him and stopped him sleeping in that ugly cell all through the night was his knowledge of the process of getting to the Bahamas. Tony had known it too. That's why he'd been so nice, trying to sweeten the pill. You need a clean license. What? Susie said. A clean driving license. What do you mean? Susie switched off the television at last and pulled her cardigan around her bony shoulders. To make the application for the work permit. There's no way they'll take me now. It's over. There must be something they can do, some strings they can pull. God, she was getting thin. He hadn't noticed. When did she last eat? He wasn't sure. They hadn't eaten a meal together at home for a while. They're strict. One of the strictest places in the world. And croupiers. You've got to be clean. No record. No black marks against you. That's balmy. You've worked for them for years, Carlin. It's just the way of the world. He reached out and shook out the last one of her Bensons from the packet lying on the coffee table. He wasn't much of a smoker, not the way she was, drawing on the filter as if it was air itself, thirstily. Tonight he'd try anything. So we can't go. She tried to look concerned, and she was concerned for him, for the bust-up and the crash and the magistrate's court. She would be doing all the driving from now on. But he could recognise when she cared about something. And this wasn't it.
0: And the trouble is only just beginning for Khalid. A special thanks to Yasmin for that reading from her debut novel, Edgeware Road. It is published by Head of Zeus and it's available now. And as always, we recommend that you buy a copy from your local bookshop if you have one. A special shout out to Queen's Park Bookshop, one of my favourite bookshops in London and one of our past indie bookshops of the month. They've got signed copies available to order, so we'll provide a link and you can order your copy and get it delivered anywhere in the UK. The book is a love letter to London, no, oh, not always love, but it's a letter to London. So be sure to share this episode with the London files in your life. We're so grateful to our listeners for sharing episodes and rating our podcast. It makes a big difference. So thank you for doing that. And we're going to be giving away a copy of the book in our newsletter. So make sure you've signed up for a chance to win. Hope to see you at a salon soon. Don't forget we've got salons in person in Brighton on the 22nd of April and soon after in London at the London Library. Check them out on our website. I hope you're doing all right. Take good care.